Gents, there's a revolutionary new detergent on the market that is designed just for you. It's called Frey, and it was created to both smell better and treat your clothing better than regular detergents. In the words of one of their customers, if a nomad wizard lumberjack rescued you from a logging accident in an enchanted forest, that's the smell of Frey. I'll never use another detergent ever again. And by the way, in a, in the, here's a word in, in an actual customer. Frey dropped a bag for me, Tate. Uh, I've been using Frey for the last... I, I did two loads of laundry. Um, I actually kind of like it. It's, a, it's good stuff. Like it, The way I would describe... Here's my review. It smells like um, basically what just laundry is, except it doesn't smell like lilies and, and flowers and springtime. It smells like men, you know? So that's... I, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan. Like, I don't like colognes and all that kind of stuff. So I just want my my clothes to smell good. And that way I don't have to kick on the cologne and all that kind of stuff. So go to livefreyfrey.com and use the code SHINING25 for 25% off your first purchase. And you can smell like me. That's livefreyfrey.com and use the code SHINING25 for 25% off your first purchase. It's the middle of day, Tuesday, January 30th, I believe. It's almost February, Tate. Yeah, February, it is. When February comes, it means it's almost March. The voice you hear talking right this second is the voice of me, myself. Uh, my name is Mark Titus. You can find my work on theringer.com. I, I write articles sometimes on there. The man I will be talking to today is my, my co-host, as always, Tate Frazier, who I got to say, Tate, I'm very excited. The Super Bowl is this Sunday, and I get you full time after this. He's the host of GM Street. He cheats on me basically up until February with Mike Lombardi. Um, be honest, Tate. You're excited for football to be over, so you can just dive into college basketball fully, right? In the words of Mark Turgeon, it's been a tough year, Mark Titus. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i slowly dying. I am worn out from all this football talk. I have to know not only 53 men on two different teams and all the teams in the NFL, but also... 360 some of some odd teams in uh, all of college basketball. So, yeah, I'm pretty worn out, but I'm ready to talk about all things good guys, all things bad guys, all things Kyle guys. Yeah. And, you know, that that's what matters on days like today. Listen, we had this past weekend was uh, an incredible weekend of college basketball. I was almost going to put a, a, a title on it and say it was like the best weekend of the year. I don't know if it's all that, but um, the Duke Virginia game lived up to the hype. Uh, Kentucky West Virginia was a great game. Mm. Purdue IU, I said it would be a good game because it's Assembly Hall. It ended up being a pretty good game, but there's a ton to talk about, Tate. We have a lot to unpack, and we're going to do it, and the only way you and I know how is to first start with our favorite segment, good guy, bad guy, Kyle guy. And I think this week we're going to have a lot to talk about Kyle guy, um, but we're going to start with good guy like we usually do. Last week, as as people may remember, we famously started with the bad guy, but uh, this week we're going back to back to our roots, starting with your good guy. Do you want to start? I kind of want to start, but I also I wanted to say I can't believe that was just a week ago that we did the forty five minute Zion Williamson uh, complete breakdown yeah. and uh, the probably the most scathing piece of journalism this side of the twenty first century. But good <laughs> job by us. Uh, we weren't afraid of the moment. We made it happen. Um, but let's talk about good guys, uh, the good people out there, the good men out there. I had a good guy in mind. I said, hold Mark, on, hold on. What? Before before we start, I was thinking about this. Should we explain the segment? We, we explained it like a th- <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on, I'm, I'm torn. So if you don't we, know, you don't we, know. We don't know because 
Uh, so we, for those who've been listening since the teed up days, rest in peace. Um, Wait, you remember what? when we first started, when we first started the new podcast, we explained like the first time we did good guy, bad, like the first 10 times we did good guy, bad guy, we explained the segment and then it became kind of ridiculous that we spent so much time explaining it. Well, this but is I the 12th like time. So many, That's why it's ridiculous. I, but I know, but we haven't explained it in like a month and a half, two months. And I feel like there are a lot of new listeners, but all right, if you're saying no, it's okay. I just wanted to acknowledge that this is like an inside joke and there are probably new listeners that don't know what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, F- find someone, find a friend to explain it to you. That's all I'll say. Go ahead, Tate. Yeah, we're it's all about the buddy Go system. Ahead. Good buddies, good guys. Go back. Yeah. <laughs> go, go back to your good guy. <laughs> good guy that I had on you know, the board. Which is uh, a good guy is someone that is not doing so well, but they are a good man and they have good values and they're trying to do it the right way. But things aren't going their way. That's what it, that's what it means. That's what it stands for. And that's why today I thought that my guy was going to be Mark Turgeon. He's had a tough year. He just said it was been it has been a tough year. He's lost what four games straight in the Big Ten. Just lost to Indiana not too long ago. It's been a rough ride for Mark Turgeon and the Terrapins. And I just like saying a Turgeon sandwich, but. You wanted to talk about our guy, and uh, I agree. I've decided to recant on my whole Mark Turgeon rant and to go into Scott Drew because at the end of the day, Scott Drew gets a lot of acclaim. He gets discussed a lot in the college basketball circles, but that only happens when his team miraculously gets up in the top 10 somehow and becomes a team that is quote-unquote a contender, but really they're just a future and elite eight team that kind of lets you down. But Scott Drew right now is not even that. He's lost seven of the last nine. And we have to we have to check in on Scott Drew, Mark Titus. And, and you really want to dig in on this because we don't know if he's a good coach. We do know that he is a good guy that sometimes can turn into a bad guy depending on the day. But right now he's being a really, really good guy. And I, I don't know what to do with Scott Drew. Where are we at right now with him, Mark Titus? Are, are you, the question is, is he a good coach? Um, you bring up a good point, Tate. When, when Scott Drew has it cooking at Baylor, a lot of people are excited. Uh, a lot of people love to love to do the thing. Where are the Scott Drew haters now? Like, or, or uh, rough day for the for the Scott Drew can't coach crowd is what they would say. Yes, they'll say things like that. Um, and listen, you and I have famously never taken a side on this debate. We don't we don't pick sides. We're not saying actually. I think I think you're ready to pick a side, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think today you're ready to finally pick your side. But I don't pick sides. I just like I just point out facts. I'm a just facts guy. I always have been. And Scott Drew turned around the program, does great things at Baylor, but the man has never been to a Final Four. He's never won a conference title. Can a, can a good coach, can those two things be true and you still be considered a good coach to have never in your career been to a Final Four or won a Power Conference championship, Tate? I don't know. I'm just asking the questions. And you bring up a good point that that the people that love to talk about Scott Drew, and when, when they do the thing where they're like, I can't believe anybody thinks this guy sucks as a coach, they're awfully quiet these days. When the man has lost, and, and by the way, Baylor was not like a terrible team. This isn't mm-hmm. a case of like, of Baylor has no players and they're caught in between. Like last year, they had good a lot of good players and their their guys graduated. I mean, they did have guys leave, um, and and graduate. And, and Al Freeman transferred to NC State. We'll talk about him in a little bit. I know you're excited for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, like they they were ranked 18th in the country. Tate they had a good team, and then now he's lost seven of nine. So interesting. Yeah, bring up a good point. Pretty good, good guy, guy right now. Pretty good guy, and uh, I also want to point out that it is really tough in this game of good guys and bad guys to both be at one time a good guy and at another time a bad guy. And the guys that are multidimensional, the guys that fall in the middle of that Venn diagram, that's the sweet spot. And that's why Scott Drew mm-hmm. has a chance to be a good coach at one day, you know, because he's right Who's, in the middle. He's where you want to be. So 100 years from now, when I ask you in the the late 
What, what, do, what do we call it? By the way, what do we call the decade from 2000 to 2010? The aughts. <laughs> just about that. The, they call it the, the aughts. aughts. The aughts. Well, okay, from like the late aughts to the mid-tens. If I had to <laughs> yeah, ask definitely you. not the mid-tens. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> the mid, whatever the hell decade. This, this sucks, dude. We live at the wrong time. I don't even know what to call these years. Um, Start this of the era century. of basketball. The, the one and done era, we'll call it that. Yeah. Uh, if I was to ask you 100 years from now, what the history books will look back on as the quintessential good guy, bad guy combo. Are you picking Scott Drew or Lorenzo Romar? Oh, who defines both good guy and bad guy at the same time more for you? I think it's got to be Lorenzo. I think he's the kingpin of it all. I think because so. He he's got to be. He yeah. was the classic. He was the perfect one because he never got over the hump either, you know, and he never even really climbed to the top of the hill. He just kind of chilled right in the middle and was like, I'm I'm content to lose in the Sweet 16. I'm fine to sit right, right here with all these top talented players. And, and that's kind of that's where you want to be. He dropped much bigger duffels and he was a much nicer guy. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Although Kevin Ollie, don't sleep on him. He's making a late push with these with these UConn allegations. I, have, He's gonna... Quick quick conspiracy tangent. Have you heard this UConn conspiracy that apparently the that there are a lot of people that think that there were certain officials with the UConn program um, that possibly reported themselves because that gives them just Ooh. cause to get out uh, underneath this Kevin Ollie contract. Oh, because because Ali has a huge buyout, and they need like the the yes. they need a reason. They need a to just cause, which means like he was being investigated for improper Ooh. benefits or something like that with the NCAA. So there's some conspiracists out there in, in the Connecticut circles that believe that they self-reported it so they could get with you know underneath that uh, that Ali contract. And if that's true, and they did do that, that is Listen, some genius genius play right there. That that's a power play. You, you're speaking to a man who believed that Michael Porter Jr. was coming back against Auburn just because one person slid into our DMs and told us. So um, <laughs> I'm I'm totally believing this. I'm believing this 100%. I'm with you, man. All it's going to take, like, if one of our listeners just slides into the DMs and is like, yeah, I, I can back that up. My 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 uh, uncle is on that board, and he uh, he was at the meeting. <laughs> okay. That's all my I need grandpa is Jim Calhoun. He yeah. said it did happen. I, okay, yeah. great. Thanks. Um. Yeah, so Mark Mark Turgeon, what do your Mark Turgeon piece though? You you said you wanted to pick Mark Turgeon, and I I kind of talked you out of it. I just I didn't mean to talk you out of it. I just wanted to bring to your attention that Scott Drew was was uh you know in the in the current situation just, he's in. I just want to point this out. You know, I believe in programs and like big time programs, and Maryland I believe is one of those programs. I just want to say this, Mark Turgeon. This is his seventh season, which feels way too long, right? When you think of Mark Turgeon, you feel like he's on year three, yep. year four, and he's going to turn this whole thing around. That, that's what we've been banking on for now three years. It, it's been an overlap. Seventh season, and if he doesn't make the tournament this year, then he would have made three NCAA tournaments with one Sweet 16. That's just mm. not good enough, right? Like that, That's not going to work out for Mark Turgeon. That, that's, that's a real Turgeon sandwich. Wrong. And uh, I, I just feel like Maryland... For, for all the stuff where we talked about how great of a program they went to the Big Ten, they had Under Armour, they were going to be the Oregon of the East Coast, all this sort of stuff, I don't know. It hasn't quite worked out. I, yeah. I, I, I feel Did, like Mark Turgeon needs to, to to see the end of his tenure, and uh, that's why he's my good guy of the week. But I also believe Turgeon this, can turn it around. Can he turge this one this, out? I don't know. <laughs> for the second time, I mean, you picked Turgeon, what, like three weeks ago? That's yeah. all. I was just curious why. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, I'm just listen, sort of Tate, stuck on Tate. It. I'm just sort of stuck yeah, on it. Yeah, that's fine. Listen, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, I just want to get inside your brain. I want to understand. Yeah, I would. I, I get what you're saying. Maryland should be better. I told you, like the last time when you brought it up, I was like, 
I don't really have anything to say. Like, I have no opinion on Maryland, and I guess that's part of the problem is that I just don't – I'm, like, indifferent to Maryland. And they play in the same conference as the two teams I care about most, and I'm just like, yeah, sure, Maryland, whatever. Um, and I so. think I think that's what the worst thing about it is. I have this complex about Maryland because they are a real ACC team. So when they left yeah. to go to the Big Ten, in my head, I'm thinking, well, at least they'll just go to the Big Ten and just beat the shit out of all those teams just to, like, make the point that ACC basketball – but instead, they've just completely right. gone away from the formula and have just decided Ooh. to be some other Big Ten team that scores 65 points to 73 points and, you know, <laughs> shoots 35% from the field and all this other BS. You know, I'm tired of it. Just like, that's a good get, point. Get that some you... point guards from the DMV and make it happen. What are you doing? That's a good point. Where's Stevie that's a good franchise? Point that you bring up. Let's figure it out. Where's John that, uh, Gilchrist? Figure it out. Maryland is proving that the Big Ten is better than the ACC. That's pretty much it. Like when when Maryland was in the ACC, they won a national title. Then they come to the Big Ten, they can't even they can't do anything. So I think that that's a good point you brought up. I didn't consider that take. Thank you. Um, all right, my my good guy. I'm also revisiting an old flame that I've picked for good guy of the week, but for good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going with Bob Huggins again. I picked Bob Huggins after the Kansas game because of partly because of the way they choked the game, but also because of, of just his antics with Bill Self, like giving him the pullover and being being just happy. go Like Bob Huggins looks like Santa Claus without the beard. Like he's just so jolly on the sidelines talking to the opposing coaches and he's got the big belly and the red cheeks and he's just so happy to be there. Mark Such Titus, a good guy, Tate. Quick tangent. I will say this. Uh, Tim Allen, if they're going to make a Bob Huggins movie, uh, Tim Allen, that's, that's the Tim cast. Allen. Yeah, that's okay. going to be the guy. I like that. Yeah. That's the, I like that. The tool man. Um, so the situation I just described happened against Kansas, what was that, two weeks ago, three mm. weeks ago, something mm. like that. I, I'm losing track. It happened pretty much the exact same thing. It happened again against Kentucky, Tate. That one, I don't I don't know if Huggins gave Cal the pullover. I think Cal just wore a pullover to fit in with Huggins. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, Calipari was wearing a pullover for Kentucky Kentucky's coach Calipari. He's wearing a pullover. Uh, and Huggins gets asked about it by Maria Taylor, ESPN uh, sideline reporter, asks Huggins right before tip-off, like, what are your thoughts on Cal wearing the pullover? And Huggins cracks a joke and says, like, Cal's always wanted to be like me, and I don't know, that doesn't surprise me. And he's laughing and having a good time. West Virginia comes out to a big lead. At halftime, Huggins is is drinking Miller Genuine drafts and, and smoking <laughs> Marlboros in the locker room or something, not giving his team a pep talk yet again. And then they come out in the second half, and Kentucky – goes on a 21-2 run and they beat him. They West Virginia has now lost what like 4 or 5 I think. Yeah, it's been a weird run for them. And uh so Huggy Bear is getting too friendly. That's that's the problem right now. He, yeah. he's making too many he friends with the big dogs. During the uh the 94 feet segment, your favorite segment that Jay Billis does <laughs> uh where he he <laughs> Or you, you and I talk. We should do a. a did we talk about this on the podcast? That, that uh, I don't. Th- I don't know if we did or, or behind closed doors. Where we want to do a parody where we like we do an interview show with players and we just like <laughs> just walk on campus and we just keep walking and we see how long we can get someone we, to walk with us and answer questions. We call it ninety four feet, but we just keep walking. It's like a thirty minute show. Yeah, we just end up at different places. There's like a green screen behind us. We're somehow at the Great Wall of China at some point. We just keep we, walking. We. We get the players to walk four miles, and we just see how long it goes until someone steps in. And is like, are, are we just gonna keep walking? Like, what's a, yeah? Um, anyway, They're sweating, drenching sweat. Huggins, I don't know if you saw this. Huggins stops. Huggins had like a stool set up at the free throw line, and he he's walking with Billis, mm. and he just stops, sits down on the stool, and is like, I'm not walking any further. <laughs> but but during it's that uh, during feet. the ninety. 90- 
During the 94 feet thing, Billis asked, who's the coach you look up to most or the biggest imp- I forget how he worded it, but like basically who's your who's your coaching friend or hero? Who do you love? And Huggins <laughs> said Cal. Now, there is some history there. Like Huggins and Cal do get along. They're both they go way back. They're both from like the same like Cal's from Pittsburgh, Huggins is from West Virginia. They're kind of close. Like they run, run in the same circles. All that kind of stuff. And also, maybe he was saying it because uh, he, he was just like trying to be friendly because they're playing that night and he's just doing the thing where he's just giving the fake answer that it's Cal. But I, this this read to me like a man who it was just being a good guy. He's just like, yeah, I love Cal. And, and it just, it reeked to me of like, I don't want to beat my friend tonight. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm just going to go out there and we're just going to play and see what happens. And that's, I'm calling Huggins out as being a good guy, too. He's definitely a good guy. And I, I would say this it's the weird thing. It's almost like, if you go to the Playboys Mansion, you'd wear a smoker's jacket to impress Hugh Hefner, and now everyone wants to wear like the pullover to impress Bob Huggins, and and he's fallen like flattered by it. He didn't have the killer instinct. He used to right. be like this bulldog on the outside, a grizzled character that wanted to show you know the elites of the game that he belonged, and he's a better you know X and O's guys, and he's going to press, and he doesn't care about any of these five star prima donnas, and now he's buying into the whole thing, and I, I don't like it. I don't like what I'm seeing from Can Bob Huggins imagine- right now. Can you imagine what Bear Bryant would do if if someone would have shown up on the sideline against Alabama wearing that hat that he wore, whatever that pattern is, like the two, what do they call that, the tooth, something tooth hat, that black and you know what I'm talking about, yeah, like the yeah, checker yeah. looking. It's like the other coach, the, the the Auburn, whoever the Auburn coach was back in the day, there for the Iron Bowl shows up wearing like that hat. What Bear Bryant would have done, he would he would not have been like, oh man, love that guy, that's cool. He's always wanted to be like me. He would. I think he would literally kill him. And <laughs> he could rip it off at yeah. least. At the least. Yeah. So uh Huggins and then and then they also did a thing where uh as everything was like kind of going well for West Virginia, Schulman and Billis were talking about how Huggins is just like a hero in Morgantown. He's he's born there, he's raised there, he's coaching there now, and how he goes out into the community and he'll stop and talk to anybody that comes up to him and he's just kind of like one of the guys in the in the town and and listen, all of that is cool. All of that is fine and well, but when you're losing basketball games, it's not fine and well anymore, Tate. Win at all costs. You can't be a good guy in this business. But Bob Huggins is a—he's uh, being a good guy, so I'm gonna call him out. Good job, good job by you. And uh, those are two really good guys, and possibly three. I, I mean, I think Drew Turgeon and and Bob Huggins are all worthy of the good guy moniker this week. But now we get to the fun part, and that is the bad guys—the guys that really uh, make our skin crawl with all the bags that are being dropped and all the recruits that are being signed. Uh, Will Wade. Is is your bad yeah. guy of the week, Mark Titus? This is my pick. Will Wade is my pick. Uh, I I don't follow recruiting. I keep saying it because I I want it to be true, and I'm slowly finding that it's not as true as I I hope it was. <laughs> because uh, I don't follow recruiting yet. I keep hearing about these five star guys going places. Uh, so Will Wade gets a, a commitment from a five star forward named Emmett Williams on Friday. Uh, this is the second five star commitment that LSU has in their class next year. Um, they now have four guys in the top in ESPN's top fifty for next year. Will Wade is his, this is his first year at the job on the job. Mm. Uh, the new new LSU coach. Uh, he also just kicked on Monday. He just kicked four guys or kicked two guys off the team and suspended two others. Uh, so so this Wednesday, I want to say, I think tomorrow they play at Tennessee. Um, he's going to be down to seven scholarship players. Basically, he's just like gutting his entire program and dropping bags <laughs> to fill in the blanks next year. Um, he basically walked in the so door yeah, well, and was basically like, this is what Johnny Jones left me. 
He's like, all right, well, right. I need all these scholarships. I got to get rid of all these kids that are here. Just go ahead and chop them off the block, and then I got to use these scholarships to bring in my guys. And and I really so like I have it. a, I have a, I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, um, the first thing that comes to mind is I, I saw that that Will Wade had a five star guy, and the reason I keep finding out about it, these recruits, like I, I last week I think I picked Steve Offer. I mentioned Steve Offer getting Moses Brown. I think was the guy's name. Yep, Moses. Um, he was he was a five star recruit, and I, I keep seeing these stories because there are five star guys going to these places that that's like, I just see like the headline, like five star guy commits to this place. And then I just remember it. And when this segment comes around, I'm like, Oh, I'll pick that guy as my bad guy. Um, but I started thinking like every recruits, a five star guy, right? Like this is at, th- <laughs> at a certain point, it starts to pile up. And I'm like, we, we, this is like 45 star guys. So I go on ESPN's list, the ESPN list. And that's like what I default to. I don't know. But you, you, some people use rivals, I suppose. Again, I don't really care. I don't care enough about recruiting to like have a, favorite service um so i just default to espn they got like 27 guys that are five stars wait what yeah wait how, what? how is this possible that's the problem and the, and the the problem with the five star you know the glut of five stars is too is that once they get to the college ranks or to the nba they get this whole thing of like they're a failure and they're like well this kid was a five-star recruit had so much promise it's like well if you have 27 guys that the first right. round's only thirty picks. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't quite work out. We can't have this many five stars. So we need to we need to cut it down to what is an actually five star. There should only be five guys that can be five stars. The rest of them are all four yeah. stars that are pretty good. We need to we need to figure some who who runs the recruiting. Is that Paul Biancardi that still does that? At, I don't know if he's yeah like he's still guy. at ESPN. He's the one yeah. guy. I remember. Yeah yeah. Is, is this his doing? Like what are we what are we doing here with 20, 27 guys or five stars? I mean. In my mind, Tate, I hear five star. I think this guy is going to come in. He's going to immediately be the best player on the team. Yep, and he's going to be good enough to to carry the team to the tournament. You could surround him with garbage, and he's still probably going to be good enough to carry we, the team to. The we tournament. have to find and the difference. Not, we have to find the line between a LeBron Nash five star and a Marvin Bagley right. five star. You know, I mean, like there's I, too much I got variation curious. between the two. Yeah, that, exactly. Like Marvin Bagley should be. If we're going with the, with that, he should be six stars. Can we, get, can we get seven stars? I mean, where does it end, Tate? I looked up. Uh, I was curious, so I looked up um, just some previous recruiting classes to kind of find like a guy like LeBron Nash that was five star. Jay Sean Tate was five stars at Ohio State. And listen, I love Jay Sean so Great much. That guy, that guy is awesome. You love his name. I love his personality. His even I, I love how he plays. He plays so hard. He's carried Ohio. He's made like Ohio State games watchable the last three years when there's no other reason to watch him. It's just fun to watch him play so hard. He's he's like a six four power forward with who, who you could tie his left hand behind his back and he would still shoot with his left hand. <laughs> and this man was like a five star recruit coming out. Of, I mean, this this is a problem. We have a we have an epidemic on our hands. Uh, so I, I wanted I wanted to make that point, Tate, that these, these five stars are getting out of control. So I, I, I don't know how good this kid is. I don't know how good Emmett Williams is. Is going to LSU. But he is he is five stars, so I guess he's somewhere between LeBron Nash and Marvin Bagley. Have you, Titus? Have you ever been to uh, Cracker Barrel before? You ever heard of Cracker Barrel? I have. I've heard of it. Yes. Okay, so you know the waiters and the waitresses at Cracker Barrel. They have these. They have the stars. They have these little aprons oh, with the yeah. stars on them. And so, like, like the like most pieces of flair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the most you can get is five stars, obviously. So it's like it's like seeing a unicorn, you know, out in the wild to see someone with five stars at Cracker Barrel. So, like, it's really hard to get those five stars. And if you see one, you're going to get the best service of your life, probably. 
And that's the problem. You know, like they really have to earn those stars. So if you see a right. four star, you really appreciate your service. You're like, this is a four star person. This is a person that's put in the work, put in the time. They've the- earned this ranking. And if you see a five star, it's just a blessing because you can't believe that could actually happen. And nowadays, five stars are everywhere. And I just don't like it. I, I think it needs to mean all something. All of our. All of our listeners that are 77 years old and older are just nodding along, just like, yes, yes Tate, like, thank finally, you. Like, I totally finally. get it. Great analogy. Great analogy with the Cracker Barrel there, More Tate. tapioca. Uh, th- by the way, the other point I want to bring up is that Will Wade is is following in a long line of LSU coaches before him with the bag dropping and the uh, the getting the five-star guys, the the program changers. Uh, we briefly, on our Sleeping Giants thing we did with, with Simmons, we talked about LSU as – LSU wasn't even close to meeting the criteria, but we felt like they needed to be brought up because if you were making an all-time team of alumni, mm. I, I think I might take LSU over every other school in the country. With with Shaq, Pete Maravich, Bob Pettit, Ben Simmons, Chris Jackson, Big Baby, Tyrus Thomas, Stromile Swift. like They're unbelievable if you put together a, an alumni team of LSU, yet they've been to like three or four Final Fours. They've been to like two Sweet 16s since 1987, I think. I think they went in 2000 and 2006. Yeah, and that's 2006, it. yep. Um, so Will Wade is setting him up, himself up to uh, fall in a long line of LSU tradition of dropping bags, getting five stars, and then uh, winning, going 18 and 13 and... <laughs> And and Pistol Pete being on, was being the, on the bubble. Pistol Pete was the original, like we want your son, so we're just going to hire your dad. And uh, right, th- yeah. th- that that was the best one. And P- Pistol Pete still holds every single record, pretty much individually, uh, in the NCAA record book. So LSU has him and Shaq, and that was without, probably enough to beat anyone else. Without, by the way, as my dad likes to point out, without a three point line. This is my my dad is like like any older white guy. My dad <laughs> loves Larry Bird and, and Pete Maravich, so he. Larry Bird, my dad doesn't try to fake it with Larry Bird. He's like, I didn't really follow him in college because nobody did. And a lot of people will fake it and they'll be like, yeah, I remember Larry. At no one remembers Larry <laughs> at Indiana State. But but my dad does remember Pete Maravich at LSU. And he just like will not never shut up. He's like, you got to remember, Mark, there's no three-point line back then. So he averaged 44 a game. Just think about if there's a three-point line. I was like, oh, cool. So he'd average, what, like 47 then? That's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's Probably like, like the point still stands, times. Daddy. Average- Respect your father. <laughs> yeah so anyway sorry dad um <laughs> love pistol Pete. that's my that's my that's my bad guys well wait who's your bad guy uh my bad guy is pretty simple it's uh jamie dixon and it's it's sort of what we were talking about um i just think that tcu is on the verge of making something major happen i think they're going to be like a top 10 perennial top 10 team in the next few years mm-hmm. uh alex robinson have you seen this guy alex robinson he had like 17 no. assists uh, against Iowa State the other night for TCU. Um, he's been incredible. I don't know. I just watched that game, so maybe that really shocked me. Uh, but he, then he almost had a triple-double uh, against West Virginia. Um, he, he's like replacing Jalen Fisher, which we should say, Jalen Fisher was a great character for college basketball. I'm going to miss him. I hate that he's out for the year. Uh but all that to be said, Wait, is he what? Hold on, hold on. You're blowing my mind. Like I don't. I was watching. I was watching like I watched like four or five TCU games this year, and I, and I don't remember the guy you're talking about. I I, I basically only remember uh, Brodzianski and Jalen Fisher. Yeah, and Jalen Fisher's out now. I, yeah. I'm, I'm out on TCU because they started sucking. Yeah, dude. he's out yeah. there. <laughs> Jalen Fisher. Uh, he get he tore his meniscus. I think uh, oh, last damn. Tuesday maybe. And then so this guy Alex Robinson has come in. 
and he's just been incredible. He almost had a triple-double, uh, and then he had 17 assists in one game. So uh, all that to be said, they just got the number one JUCO player in the country to commit. So, like, like mm. you know, a lot of the times with these bad guys, you know, it's not because we're lazy or anything. It's just that there's not always juicy storylines. There's not a Zion Williamson every single week. And so, you know, I see the number one JUCO player. He's going to go to TCU. I find that interesting. I think Jamie Dixon is doing something down there. So, bad guy of the week, Jamie Dixon. Plus, with that slick back hair and just that look in general and just that crazed face that he makes, like Patrick Bateman and American Psycho all the time, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's the perfect bad guy. So, Jamie Dixon, bad guy of the week. My boy, uh, Big Cat, on part of my take, uh, when I was on their show, he brought up that Jamie Dixon is like a discount Jay Wright. And I never really thought about that when he said that. I was laughing so hard. He's like, he look, he kind of like tries to look and act like Jay Wright, but he's just got like the hair. He's got but the awful he, hair. <laughs> but Jay Wright just perfected it, you know? Like, like yeah. J- Jamie is too deranged to be Jay Wright cool. Jay Wright went straight right. for the James Bond, I'm just too cool for school kind of look. Like, you better cuff your mom because Jay Wright's coming over to say what's up. Like, that. that's who Jay Wright is. Jamie Dixon's never been at that level. Jay Wright and Tony Bennett are the two guys where, I mean, those Absolutely. guys are untouchable. Yeah. Jeez, calm down, Tate. Man, you're getting worked up over there. Um, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Don't let your mom go hang uh, out with Jay Wright. You're you're absolutely right. By the way, that the TCU we I we we both been saying it that that TCU SMU is going to be the big rivalry. Yes. ten years from now, that's going to be that's the buddy rivalry. By the way, JUCO another another stereotype perception I have that you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing this guy, this JUCO guy they got, is he from Texas or did he like play in Texas? Because I feel like every JUCO exists in Texas. Like every <laughs> JUCO guy I've ever heard of comes out of Texas. Like he was going to school in Texas. And it got me thinking, like, what exactly is JUCO? Like, what I'm trying to think of, like, the junior colleges around Indiana and Ohio that I've grown up around, and I don't even know of any. And maybe, maybe are there, is it like, is it different from like the NAIA schools? Is this different from, I don't know. It's like community. It's all college. very confusing. Is it the is it community college? Yeah, it's is like that community what it is? college. Like you know, like at a Vance Granville Community College is in my hometown. That's where people went. You know, Cape Fear Community College is a big oh. one. You know, this is it. This kid was in Florida at Impact Academy, oh, which is that sounds like an AAU team. I don't know. It, yeah, it absolutely all, all, does. Well, no, listen. Yeah, you, you don't have to have an answer, Tate. I just uh, th- this is this is my this is how my dumb brain works. I guess I just like I feel like every single time I've seen a JUCO guy, it's like he's out of Texas somewhere. And yeah, this is out of, it, it's, it's either Florida or Texas usually, and this is is this uh, an unfair advantage, Tate? Do the do those schools have an unfair advantage? Because I don't know of I, I now that you say it's community college, like I know of a handful of community college <laughs> basketball teams around here, but um, I guess they just must suck. I guess all the good ones must be in Texas. I don't know. Anyway, it's basically the ones with money. I'm off on a you know, like if you have a last chance you situation. Uh, can we do the final yeah. one? The one everyone's been waiting yeah, for? Yeah, please. Cal Guy. Please. Uh, a big week for Cal Guy and the Wahoos. Virginia goes into Duke. Gets the first win. Shout out to Harold Dean. Shout out to the 1995 team that won in Cameron. This team does it. Uh, Cal Guy and Grayson Allen were right back in each other's faces. Grayson Allen... The disgust that Grayson Allen has to have for this Virginia team with these guys like Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy to see yourself to to see like yep like to just stare in the mirror what you are as a basketball player and have to play against it that's really tough for Grayson to do I'm sure and we, we saw the before we talk about you've seen the video right the one everyone's circulating about the trip that Grayson oh, yeah. had oh yeah 
I want to yeah. talk about oh, the yeah. slap first before we talk about the trip. We can get back to the trip. But the slap at the end of the game when, you know, yep. Virginia is trying to seal the win and Kyle Guy gets the, the, the ball in and, and Kyle Guy get, trying to get trapped in the corner, but he's also trying to clear space and he's trying to get, he's going to get fouled by Duke to go to the free throw line because they're down four, I believe, at the time. And Grayson just puts his face, you know, right in the, in, in the range of like, if you're going to move your arm with your elbow, you're going to probably hit someone in the face if they put their head right there. And that's what he does. Kyle Guy hits him. Grayson takes the fall. Goes for the Oscar, goes all the way down, grabbing his face as if he just took a Gerald Henderson elbow to the face. He's down on the ground. Cow guy, you know, feels bad because he's, you know, like we know, a cow guy, a good guy. And he tries to put his hand out to, to pick Grayson up and say, hey, man, come on. You know, I didn't hit you that hard. It's fine. Just get up. And Grayson smacks the out of his hand out of the way. Just yeah. smacks him like, like a little 12-year-old that's got a bad attitude. And Kyle just takes it, walks away. But I, I I just can't believe that we got Grayson in full form, and I, I'm all in on Duke now. I'm back in Titus. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. I don't think I like this Grayson fella. I just think he's got it. He's got an attitude problem, and I think it's it's high time that somebody calls him out for it. Uh, you're you're absolutely right. By the way, Kyle Guy is Grayson Allen. If Grayson Allen didn't join the dark side, and and if he if if someone got their hands on him at a young age and steered him. To away from the tripping and the slapping of the hands and all that, like Kyle Guy, basically, like that's what Grayson Allen should be—that kind of player mm-hmm. that Kyle Guy is—and he's not. Um, Grayson Allen, this like this was a this. I, I can't thank Kyle Guy enough for bringing old Grayson back into our lives. Yes, um, Grayson comes out is not hitting shots, is getting obviously frustrated the entire game. This wasn't like an isolated incident. This was the 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 slapping of the thing as you brought up the the tri- the tripping attempt, but. All of this was not an nice. It started at the very beginning of the game when Grayson could not score, and he'd started just forcing shots, and you could just see him not even care about the score on the on the what the, what the score of the game was, how many points he was giving up because Duke can't play defense to save their lives, anything like that. He was just like, I gotta score some points here. I gotta I gotta see the ball go through the rim, and it just wasn't happening for him. And because Grayson, it, it all and then Grayson has yeah. teams like in the ACC that he plays really well against. It's like Wake Forest. He plays really well against Virginia. He's always like he's always had these moments. Like when he hit the shot against Virginia to win, you know, he like has certain teams. Carolina, he already he always plays really well against. And like so, certain teams, he really tries to gun because he knows those are the nights he needs to go off. It's like almost like Kay's giving him the green light. And Virginia is one of those teams. So when it's not going right, that's when he starts to stir, and that's when the real Grayson comes out. Which is, it was a beautiful. It was it all played out perfectly to to, to script right. pretty much. Hey, let's talk about the uh, we'll talk about the Duke Virginia game more um, beyond just Kyle Guy and Grayson Allen. Uh, but you brought up you brought up the Grayson Allen shot that he hit um, last year in in Cameron to beat Virginia, which, as we all know, was a travel. And thinking about travel, thinking about travel take got me thinking. Fun fact: unlike flights or other travel, hotel rates actually get cheaper at the last minute. Hmm. In fact, Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get amazing deals. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe to book a room. No long, endless list of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels. Perfect for if you're busy or don't want to overthink things. Plus, you can book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. Book next week, tonight. Book next month, tonight. Tate, you can book Valentine's Day with your uh, with your special someone, tonight. Mm. 
It's great for last minute getaways or a quick staycation, whether you're a planner or like to leave things to the very last minute. And with hotels, tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Speaking of energy bars, RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with few simple clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package. No BS, Titus. They're perfect for breakfast on the go, a snack at the office, to throw in your bag for a bike ride, a hike, traveling, anything really. Better yet, beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX bars actually taste delicious. With 11 delicious flavor varieties, all of which are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and free of any added sugar, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers. It may just be air. You can actually taste the cacao, the real fruit, the spices, just like sea salt. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. I just had my first RX bar, and boy, am I full. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com shining and enter promo code SHINING at checkout. That's rxbar.com shining, promo code SHINING for 25% off your first order. All right, back to the podcast. All right, Tate. So uh, let's 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 dive more into the Virginia Duke game beyond just the Kyle guy, the Grayson Allen. I mean, if we we could if we work our way back to there, that's fine too, because I imagine we will. But uh, a couple things stood out to me. Number one, Duke's defense is not good. It's not even kind of good. And I think there's an idea. And and I said this after watching the Miami game where Duke came back to beat Miami. They they go to that two three zone, mm-hmm. and. You, the takeaway was sort of like, oh, wow, I think Duke found something with this zone. And I, I I, kind of thought, yeah, they did. But at the same time, if you watch closely, you notice that Miami was getting any shot it wanted at the high post. And Duke was kind of not playing great defense. It was more of just like Miami didn't know how to beat his own and was confused. Um, and the same sort of thing happened in this Virginia game where, where Duke's man-to-man is terrible. I mean, it, there, I don't think there's any salvaging it unless – I guess, again, I, I, the, the comparison you always make is the 2015 team because I, I just find myself saying the exact same things I was saying about that team. Um, so there, I guess there's technically a chance they could do that. Uh, but you watch this Duke team play now, I just don't see how the man-to-man is going to turn around. They, they, they have their palms, they have their hands below their waist on defense at all times. They don't talk to each other. They look like like they get hit by a screen and it looks like they're inconvenienced and they're just looking they're looking at the ref like can this guy really do that can he just stand there and and get in my way like that is that is that allowed um, so they go to zone like Virginia jumps out to a big lead they go to the zone and it it starts working but if you were actually watching the game it wasn't really working like Virginia was getting any shot they wanted they they were destroying the high, Isaiah Wilkins must have been like zero for seven from the high post with wide open fifteen footers and just was missing the shots. And I, I make the joke on here all the time about how it's better to make shots than miss shots, Tate. Um, but this is kind of where that stems from, where you where you hear coaches talk about, like, we got to make shots. That's really that's what it all comes down to. These were the situations that they're talking about where Virginia did everything on offense that they had to do. They just weren't hitting the shots from the, from the high post. So Duke comes back into the game, and I think if you walk away from the game, you might be thinking, like, oh, wow, well, Duke actually kind of – figured it out defensively there in the second half. Good job, Duke. Maybe you should go zone more often. And I'm watching this thinking, no, this is this is all bad. Throw it all away. You need to start figure something out on defense because you're not even close with any of this. Um, 
that was my big takeaway, Tate. No, I like it. I, I mean, I, watching this Duke team, uh, watched them last night against Notre Dame, and you saw them sort of get back to their old formula a little bit. They tried to use some guys off the bench. Jack White came in last night for them and was like an energy guy, uh, can play big defense, gets big rebounds. Um, I think that zone is what Duke's going to rely on. I mean, I know you said yeah. that it's a little frustrating, but they're sort of. I think the main thing that that zone does is it freaks teams out when they need to to get a basket, and guys like Isaiah Wilkins get the ball, and they have to make a decision. And K is basically banking on those guys to to force turnovers and then try to outscore teams rather than try to beat them on the defensive end because they have all the the offensive firepower with Bagley. I mean, Bagley's. 30 points waiting to happen every single night, it seems like. Uh, I think the thing that really stuck out to me in this game, and just talking about Virginia, is when you have Devin Hall and you have Ty Jerome and you have Kyle Guy, you have three primary ball handlers that can get their own shot. And with those three guys, uh, I just feel like Duke, even when they went to a zone, they still could be beaten because Virginia had the guys that could make the shots. They they, they could spread the ball around the, the perimeter and... Every single one of those guys, every single time they took a shot, they took it confidently, and I thought they were going to make the shot. And I just had to Ooh. say, Ty Jerome, I mean, oh. him, him being the, being able to run the point and to not be Ooh. flustered with with Duvall. First of all, can we talk about this Duvall-Duvall thing? So, yes. Oh, my God. I, I was, I was going to bring that up. So this is a whole another conversation, but, uh, you know, Trey Duvall or Duval has gone to the SID at Duke, and he says, you know, they've been saying his name wrong all year. We've been saying Duval, but it's Duval, like David Duval, uh, the golfer, even though I always said David Duval, whatever. It, it's re- regardless. Every single announcing team now switches it 30 times throughout the game. They go, and Duval yeah. with the take, and a nice turnover there for Duval, and Duval with the three, and Duval makes the land. We got to figure out what it is, it, and I'm going to say I want it, it to be Duvall because I don't I don't really care about it's, it, it's yeah. like Reggie Bullock saying his name's Reggie Bullock. No, it's Bullock. You know, it's like come on, stop um, trying to change it. Is wasn't he doing that with his first name too? I swear there was a thing where it's like it was Trav- it's, not, it's Trevon. It's Trevon. It's Trevon. Trevon yeah. Duval. I thought his name was Trayvon Duval, and he's like, no, it's Trev. What do you? I, I still forget. You just said it. I don't. Trevon Duval. Duval, no, no, I can't be. You're talking, you're talking to a guy who still says Calipari. So wait, is that, that no? Wait, you say we, Calipari we, and it's Calipari. I said Calipari instead of Calipari. That's <laughs> See, what I meant. Yeah. It's tomato, tomato, Perry, Perry, yeah. whatever, whatever. That's funny. Um, back to the point. Ty Jerome. Oh my lord. Oh my lord. <laughs> He's my favorite oh. basketball player by far. Oh, the pass fake, the dribble up to Duval, Duval. <laughs> He dribbles right at Duval and says, I'm going to pass fake to a guy who's not even over there. And Duval just jumps out of the way and he sinks the three. Oh my God. You're absolutely, you're, you're, you're completely right. By the way, that like those guys are, they can create their own shot. They can handle the ball. They can shoot. Obviously that all three of them, the Virginia guys I'm talking about can shoot. Um, Virginia, this Virginia team in particular, but it's been true the last few years, but just, this Virginia team does not pass the eye test in terms of they don't pass the airport test. Yeah. And and what I mean by that is like if you see them walking through an airport and that because that's like most of the times where uh average Joe's run into like basketball players, I see I, I think is like you see just random tall guy, a group of tall guys walking to the airport. You see Virginia walking to the airport, you're not gonna like drop your jaw and say, Wow, that team looks unbelievable. Um and and I think that, that that that's been true of a lot of Virginia teams, but I think this Virginia team that's like the most true of, of of all the good Virginia teams. And the point I'm making is there's I think there's like something psychological with like when you play these guys, or even as a fan, if you're watching them, 
you sort of are, are you underestimate you think they're them. not that good. Yeah. yeah. But, but you, th- or, or you think like it's the system. You're like, these aren't good players. It's just Tony Bennett's kind of figured out a way to run this weird system, the run the triple option of basketball basically. And he, he has this success, but it's all a gimmick and it's not really going to work. But all three of those dudes would be phenomenal players on any team. I mean, they have, un- they're all unbelievably talented. And you, you see some of the shots that like Kyle Guy, like he's shooting, he's doing like, pump fake up and unders from like 17 feet and shooting floaters over Bagley. And I mean, like these dudes are unbelievable and um, yeah, they're just like underestimated. And I I wonder how much that is going to matter, like moving forward. Cause like you go into these games, you're like, obviously Virginia is a good team. Teams that are playing them know that they're a good team, but you actually get on the floor with them. You're like, this is the good team. Like these are the, you got these six, these two six three white guys that are super athletic, very underrated. In yeah, really, like as far as their athleticism, it's insane. You're like, this is the team that's that's supposed to be unbeatable and supposed to lock us down on defense. Like, I don't, I, there's no way this is gonna happen. But yeah, um, the whole narrative that the offense yeah. is bad, like every single game, they're like yeah. in Virginia. You know, they 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 struggle on offense. It's like, no, they really don't. They just basically play the percentages, and and they also play the clock. It's like a weird. It's not that they're playing four corners, but they're, they're. If you miss, if you're one and done, they already have it in their mindset. When they get down, they're gonna waste twelve to fifteen seconds before they get in their offense because they don't. They're gonna limit your possessions. It's just smart basketball. Absolutely. They're playing the percentages the entire game. But it's not. But they. But they also can go iso Jerome, and he can just wet a J right. in your face. Like it doesn't matter. That's what I think. That's what I think gets lost in the conversations about Virginia is that is that second part, like you said, that they're not doing it as a. This isn't like. This isn't Hickory High playing in the the state championship where <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy where Jimmy Chitwood's putting the ball underneath his arm for three minutes because they know that they're so outmatched and By the like that's not kids. what Virginia's doing. <laughs> yeah, the, the you know that the, they're trying to have like two possessions because they know that they they suck. That's not what Virginia's doing. That's not their game. Like the and and I think people think that's what their their plan is and so even when they win you think like oh that was just like a gimmick and that was like they won on some bullshit they actually have legitimately great basketball players and I don't know I mean I don't want to take credit away from Tony Bennett because he deserves all the praise for being a great coach but like Tony Bennett isn't that great I mean like the players are actually really good you know what I mean like it's not like he's it's not like he's taking a a big bag of shit and turning it into 20 and one second ranked team in the country I mean he's got actually talented guys so um I don't know. Virginia Virginia's awesome. I I I I'm I shouldn't be surprised that they're this good uh because this this the thing I'm talking about other people doing. I kind of did at the beginning of the year. I was like I don't understand. I don't really think they're going to get enough scoring. I don't think they have enough athleticism to guard guys. Hunter kid who came out of nowhere. The yep. first time I knew who DeAndre Hunter really was was when he dunked on Joel Berry and <laughs> since then I've I've got to know him very very well. That dude's unbelievable. He's so good. Um so yeah, Virginia's a legit team. If anyone's listening and is like, and, should we take Virginia seriously? The answer is yes. And and we should say this. I mean, and we've mentioned all the guard play, but then you have Jack Salt, veteran down in the post. It's a big guy that can set perfect screens for all these guards. And then you got Isaiah Wilkins, who's just like a heady, smart basketball player that's one of the best post defenders in the game, especially in the ACC. And then you have Diakite, who did the Akeem Olajuwon finger wag. 
had a huge mm-hmm. block in that game and then did the big finger wagging Cameron. I mean, I can't believe that that happened. And so, like, they have guys coming off the bench that make plays for them. I mean, it's not just two or three guys. Like, it used to be Parentes, Brogdon, Gill, whoever it was. It was like two or three guys, Joe Harris, and, and that was and they had to do so much. But with this team, I feel like they have enough depth down the roster where they can put guys in like right. Hunter or Diakite that make plays. And I, I don't know. This was the most complete Virginia team I've seen Tony Bennett had for sure. Speaking speaking of guys coming off the bench, Coach K, zero <laughs> got in the Virginia game, zero bench minutes in the second half, mm. six total minutes in the first half, zero bench points from Duke. Just just throwing that out there, Tate. A lot of five stars riding the pine there. Um, this man, this, yeah. This man is soul to soul. This man played. This man played zone defense for like what eighteen minutes. <laughs> in that game, the whole the whole second half maybe uh, against Virginia, he's losing. He, it. he played he played five guys played zone. I don't know, I don't know. Just just pointing out. But that's just what facts, K does. K does shorten the roster and uh, he, he shortens the rotation and uh, and that's just how he rolls. Can we talk about Kentucky and West Virginia real quick? Uh, we're, we we've done Please. enough we, uh, uh, talking about Duke and Virginia. People get upset we talk about Duke so much, and I agree. It, it tires me it tires me out, and I, I just don't want to listen to it. Uh, Cal. Uh, at West Virginia, we talked about the pullover and the whole game and everything a little bit, but they come all the way back. Kevin Knox was unbelievable in this game. It just basically, if Kevin Knox plays like this, Kentucky has a chance to beat anybody. But that, that's not really a, a great way to to put your basketball team around one guy to put up thirty five points or whatever it was. Right. Uh, but Virgi- West Virginia is really the the story of this one, right? I mean, I can't believe Kentucky pulled yeah. that out. Yeah, I mean the que- so I wasn't I didn't watch this game live. I've watched it since. I, I had it on DVR. I was I was going to a movie Saturday night mm. and I get a text from Kyle <laughs> as I'm going into the movie cuz cuz going into this Kentucky West Virginia game, one, I've been saying all year I don't really think Kentucky's that good. Two, Virginia's been struggling and I thought one of two things was going to happen. Either Virginia was going to blow them out or Virginia was going to win close. In an ugly game, where like, or I keep saying Virginia, West Virginia. I, I love that you're calling them Virginia. Yeah. Virginia fans are so upset right I know. now. <laughs> I know. What well, I know. That's funny. It's it's so funny how they're. Na- they, Please they, keep calling like them Virginia. Opposite. I'm going to call them Virginia the rest of the year. Polar opposite fan bases and their names are almost exactly the same. It's so funny. Uh, so I, I thought either West Virginia is going to win ugly in a close one, or they're going to blow them out. Either way, I don't really need to watch this live. It's not like a game that I I really am dying to to glue myself to the TV for. So I go to a movie and as I'm going into the movie, I get a text from Kyle. He texts both of us, producer Kyle. And he says, I I forget what it said, but something like, man, Kentucky's terrible. This is funny or something like that. (laughs) And so I turn off my phone. I go to the movie or I check the score and like it, West Virginia's up 15 at halftime. Yeah. Wow. Kentucky is bad. Yeah. No, 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 no. Wow. Good job. Good job, Kyle. That was a, that was a nice (laughs) little touch out there. (laughs) And then I, 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 I turn my phone off. I go watch the movie and I get out. And the, as soon as I turn my phone back on, it's a t- another text from producer Kyle. He's like, oops, LOL. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell happened? So then I look up the score and I see what happened. And the uh, the, the point I'm saying is I was, I was absolutely floored by this, that Kentucky came back against West Virginia. Like this Kentucky team, I, I did not see this coming at all. Even though West Virginia did this against Kansas, it makes sense to me that Kansas could come back. Kansas has like more veteran players. They kind of have an identity, even if – that identity has flaws. Um, it, it at least like sort of makes sense to me that Kansas can exist as a team. I don't really understand what Kentucky's identity is. I, I they're super young, obviously. Uh, so for this team to be down, they were down seventeen in the second half at one point, and to come back. Um, it, first of all, props to them, but secondly, like 
What the hell, West Virginia? What is happening? Well, it just goes to show, which we've always known about West Virginia, which is when you are press Virginia and you have a big lead, that does not bode well for you. It, it's not a good mm-hmm. offense. And it's not a good scheme to be up by a lot. So it's almost puts them at, I mean, not to say that being up 17 points puts you at a disservice in any situation. No, you're right. But when you play that way and you're sort of held to skelter and all over the place and you're pressing teams and you're trying to force more possessions when you don't need more possessions and you have to change the way you play, it just seems like they end up playing this half-court offense, which is just, it's almost like their version of a prevent defense where they just start chucking up a last-second shot that hits the side of the backboard and then Kentucky comes down and scores and they do the same thing for 30 seconds and I don't know they oh get they get completely away from anything they do and I just don't I understand that this has happened a bunch of times at West Virginia but they, they need to just come up with some sort of play where they just run whenever you know they get up in these big games where they just have to get a bucket to to keep it keep them at bay from getting a single digits you know when they're making a comeback if they can just stretch it back out to eight or ten or whatever it is where they can just get an easy Javon Carter backdoor layup or something because otherwise it yeah. just looks terrible and uh, so I don't bad. know I just don't understand it, honestly, because it happens every single time. Well, West Virginia's whole style is it's like a house of cards and or it's it's like a Jenga. It's pick pick your analogy that you like. It's it's this whole thing that's built on top of itself. And when one thing starts to not go well, it just snowballs so fast because they have to score to set up the press, right? Yep. Otherwise they can't really set up the press. They so if they can't set up the press, their defense isn't quite as good because I mean, if we're being honest, their defense isn't really that great. What what makes their defense so great is that it's just like helter-skelter and people get terrified and piss their pants. And I mean, that's what happened to Kentucky in the first half. So if, if West Virginia can't set up the press, their defense isn't as effective. So they give up points, and then now they have to come back down and play half-court offense, and they can't score because they can't run a half-court offense because they never run half-court offense. They get all their points in transition off of steals setting up the press. But they can't set up. They can't get those points because they can't set up the press because they can't score in half court offense because they can't stop the others. And it just snowballs on top of itself, Tate. And like as soon as that snowball starts building, you just kind of like can sense it coming. And at this point, like the players know it's coming, and they almost look just shell shocked out there. And um, I don't know. It's 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 wild. It, it bringing up the bringing up the half court offense i mean I, I wish we we didn't have a podcast and we had like a tv show so we could just cut to the uh the last possession against Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah i wish we could just I keep just, playing I wish we could just, just show like that. replaying just over Javon over. carter just desperation shots at the end of the shot clock cuz those yeah. uh those are really but, illuminate our point here so, but you know just talking about it doesn't do it justice so my question to you is do your feelings about kentucky change after this game no cuz they did they did go on the road they beat the 7th ranked team in a hostile environment uh, Kevin Knox is incredible, but you're saying no. Kentucky is a terrifying four, five, six seed in the tournament. That's what they're going to be for the rest of the year. I think that they could upset some teams. I could easily see this team coming together and making a 2011 run to the Elite Eight or something like that. But, or I mean, I think they even made the Final Four in 2011. Jesus, but I, I'm just saying that they're the type of team that, uh, like, they have all the pieces. Obviously, they have all the athletes. Can they play defense? Can they all talk to each other on defense? That's my problem with Kentucky always. Will they talk to each other on defense? And will they actually try to run an offense? And if Kevin Knox scores 34 points and shoots like he did against West Virginia, then sure, they have a chance to beat anybody. But I don't know. That's a lot to rely on one kid. And uh, I I don't know if Knox has that in him. But he he may in the tournament. I mean, I I feel like they could still make a run, but they're not a team where we should be saying they're they're a national title contender or a team that's in the top 10. I mean, they're kind of what they are. They're a mid-tier team that... Can rise to the occasion on occasion, but other, I mean, you know, 
It's nothing we right. haven't seen before, I don't think. I'll, I'll say this. I think Kentucky has a better chance of reaching their potential than Duke does. Um, Duke is a better team. Duke will be a better team all year. But as far as like, will will like they turn some corner and start to put it together? Um, which, by the way, for like Kentucky, putting it together might be making the Sweet Sixteen mm-hmm. or might might make the Elite Eight, and that's it. And that's that'd be and bring some the, of those the Elite guys Eight for back. this team. The Elite Eight for this team and bring most of those guys back would be absolutely incredible for Kentucky. Duke, Duke going into this year, it's like national title or bust. So that's 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 what I'm talking about here. I don't mean to say Kentucky's going to be better than Duke. I just think like Kentucky is better positioned because Cal, to his credit, if you want to like do the comparison with the one and done game with Cal and Coach K, Cal has always coached defense much better than K has. I don't think that's controversial to anybody. That's like been his staple is that Cal knows how to coach defense. He knows how to get the guys to to figure it out eventually. If nothing else, he can figure out how to to get the guys to his guys. To his buy kids in. to uh to buy in to use their length and athleticism and just like he he knows how to grab guys by the lapels and shake them and be like you are six foot nine with a seven six <laughs> wingspan and you're guarding a six three guy just try just just just, just try that's all you have up. to do <laughs> so I think I think Kentucky in that regard they I, I still like I'm hold, a little optimistic holding out hope but like you said this is a little bit of fool's goal just in the sense that West Virginia just shoots themselves in the foot that's how kind of how they play. And also, I mean, if, if you're saying you're getting 34 and seven from Kevin Knox every game, then well, we're talking about a completely different team. Like if that's if that's what, but but the reality is Kevin Knox isn't going to do that every night. So um, if, if if Knox scores 16 points in, against West Virginia, Kentucky probably loses by eight, nine, something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I, I think we're in agreement. But but Kentucky, I was surprised to see that, and I I'm a little bit more of a believer than I was. For it's sure. a good win for Kentucky, so, and it's good for them to do that on the road, just for for future you know reference point, honestly, to show that you can come back in any game. And I think that they need that for the tournament. Uh, next up, we got Purdue, Indiana, and uh, we we have given Purdue so much love on this podcast this yeah. season. It's been so great. I texted you this weekend, or maybe I dreamt that I texted you, but I said this feels like a weird year where Purdue and Virginia are both going to get over the hump. And and I say that, and I knock on wood as I say that. I know people are superstitious out there, but I just feel like this season would be the perfect year for those two programs who have been so relevant in the college basketball lexicon and landscape for so long, but have sort of felt dormant for so long. Like they haven't quite Mm -hmm. gotten over the hump where they are the premier team that people were discussing. They've sort of just been in the background and the shadows a little bit. But if Purdue and Virginia make it to that next level, uh, you know, that would be great. And I feel like Purdue's making that statement and obviously beating Indiana kind of shows that they're the premier team in Indiana right now. I have a, I have an opinion that I want to share with you, Tate. Uh, Isaac Haas is Purdue's best player. And this is probably not. This isn't reactionary. I mean, come, he was certainly their best player against Indiana. But the the discussions around Purdue, especially the past month or so, if you watch if you watch any Big Ten game and they start talking about like Big Ten Player of the Year candidates, they'll throw like Jordan Murphy and Kade Bates Diop and Miles Bridges, and then the other one they'll throw up there is just whoever from Purdue. They're just like pick a guy. It doesn't matter. They're all that's what makes Purdue great. You could be Vince Edwards, it could be Carson Edwards, it could be Dakota Mathias, it could be Isaac Haas. We don't really know. So what I'm saying today Tate is that it's Isaac Haas. He's the best player on that team. He it, it was clear against Indiana, but even going throughout the entire season, I mean like what makes Purdue so good they're very, very balanced obviously and they have a ton of three-point shooters and a ton of guys who can create their own shot and all of that is fine and well, but if you have a six nine center who is just okay 
instead of a seven foot two, just like absolute monster who's a problem and that no one has any answer for, then all of those other guys aren't nearly as effective. So I, I guess like maybe I'm doing the thing. Like, is there a difference between best player and most valuable or whatever? Haas is definitely the the best, the most valuable player on Purdue. I guess might be my point I'm making. Um, because he makes everything go. If you take Haas out of the game, I know they got the Harms, the other seven footer that comes off the bench. Yep. But Haas out there, like you just watch teams try to guard Haas, and they're just like so consumed with how do we, how do we keep the ball out of his hands? He is so freaking big, and that's so obvious to say. But you you see him out there against guys guarding it. Like we were talking about the Michigan game on the last pod. Wagner's like 6'10, 6'11, and he makes Wagner look like he's 6'6 when, when Wagner's trying to guard him. So um I don't know. Haas, Haas to me is, is is pretty obviously. I mean, I mean, a couple games ago against Iowa and I think Wisconsin, he he takes like three shots in each game and does a whole lot of nothing. But that's because both those teams sucked and they don't really need him. But when when you notice that like the going gets tough, they start playing a good team when Purdue plays a good team, or even a team that's not that good like Indiana, but the game was close because it was a rivalry and all that. They need Haas so badly. His presence just like affects everything. Um, even even on the defensive end, he's not really a great shot blocker. But you just like teams have to figure out a way to like sort of get him out of the paint. Everything everything is dictated by him, and that's why I want to give him a shout out and just say that I figured it out. I've cracked the code. Let's stop doing the thing of like who are we picking from Purdue? Pick Isaac Haas. He's the guy. Great campaign there. I, I agree with yeah. all the things you're saying. I think the the Edwards and Edwards campaign was the the one that got the the big draw early on and. We, we all just didn't want to admit it that Isaac Haas is the face of the franchise and uh, he deserves it. Without yeah. Swanee there, he's definitely the guy. Um, and Harms, I love Harms. And I mean, there's just so many guys. Yeah. It used to be with so, Purdue, you would name like one or two guys and the rest would kind of be fillers. And now with this team, as you go down the roster, you're like, oh, wow, I remember, I know him. I've, I've watched him play quite right. a bit. He's been there a while, blah, blah, blah. And it sort of it sort of runs out. And that's why I think Purdue has a real so, chance this year. So it was, it was so sad, by the way. That, that game was like, everything was set up for Indiana to win that. And it would have been. It would have been such a massive win, and then, and then the final four minutes come, and it was like if Indiana just had two good players, they would be. Good. <laughs> they, I guess, they had two good players that game, but this is they, they got Jawan Morgan, they got Robert Johnson. Every third game, Robert Johnson shows up for if that, um, and then did a whole lot of nothing. And then Freddie McSwain is like he brings a ton of energy, but he's like a football player. He's been playing organized basketball for like a year and a half at this point. But the whole the whole like Purdue's not hitting threes. IU's got the crowd going nuts. IU's locking up on defense. Could it be? Could it be Archie Miller's big program win? Is it happening, Tate? Is it ha- and then you come down to like the final four minutes and you just need someone to hit a big shot. And it's like, oh, right. That's right. We're playing Zach McRoberts 31 <laughs> minutes a game now. This <laughs> Zach that's Roberts. Right. I forgot about that. So. Oh my God. Um anyway. Moving on to another game that did have a lot of guys hitting shots, uh, Villanova-Marquette. I just want to briefly talk about this. Villanova played, uh, Jalen Brunson had 31. Really, really gutty win for Villanova. Um, Marquette matches up really well with them, just in the sense that they have a great offense. And like Villanova, Villanova's defense could probably be 10% better than what it is, if we're being honest with each other. But their offense is so good that they have kind of never really had a problem with their defense. So going up against a team like Marquette that also has a great offense and a suspect defense, um, it could have gone it could have gone very wrong for Villanova. And Marquette had a cooking, and they were excited, and they beat Villanova last year at home. And Jalen Brunson just uh, sacked up and dropped 31. And, yeah. And so. you're forgetting about DiVincenzo, too. I mean, Bridges and DiVincenzo, oh, yeah, DiVincenzo. both on this team. Are, I mean, I think DiVincenzo had, like, what, like 25 or something like that in that game? 
He's been great for them, yeah. and he, you know we we saw that last year in that Virginia game. Ever since then, he's been a guy that can get buckets uh, for that whole that whole team. I I think the big story about Villanova right now, which I mean they're obviously riding high, and that was a big win for them over uh, of Marquette. But um, with, with Phil Booth and that hand injury, I, I don't know. I think that may hurt them in the tournament. If they don't have Phil Booth, and yeah. then they're, they're they're not the, the uh, juggernaut number one team that they are to- right now. He's supposed to come back for Big East tournament is what they're saying. But, yeah, right now, they obviously have depth issues. Uh, yeah, it's like seven guys. I mean, it, it goes either way. Like, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really know. Like, these guys, seven guys, can you win with a seven-man rotation and, and only six people that you I, – I, like, Gillespie, they don't really want to play a ton, but they have to now. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like, sometimes you're, you're like, these kids, they're they're still young. It's They're playing one game every third day. Like, is it really that big of a deal? But – if you really think about it, like how many teams have won a national title playing like six guys or seven guys, it doesn't really happen that often. There's always like, there's always even that extra, that eighth or ninth guy that plays like five or six minutes that helps out a little bit there. So um, yeah, they, they definitely need Booth back for sure. If they're going to, but even, even if they do get him back, like, is he going to be a hundred percent? I don't really know, but I don't know. These are these are questions we have, Tate. Marquette's fun to watch, by the way. Absolutely. If, if you're listening to this and, and you want a team Howard to follow, just buckets. They just get buckets, and they they can't they can't they can't stop a paper cut. Those two, <laughs> yeah, they score. <laughs> they could, they could drop forty on. It's basically a shootout really with Marquette, which is pretty fun. I mean, if you enjoy watching yeah. that, Wojo's got them figured out. Just let some jack threes, which is fun. Uh, let's keep it rolling. You want to talk about NC State, North Carolina, real quick. I have. I don't know. Do you take? <laughs> I'm fine to talk about it. North Carolina, they are not who I thought they would be. This team is uh, just kind of fallen flat on its face lately, uh, especially with Joel Berry at the point guard position. I, I know that Joel Berry is the most outstanding player, the reigning national champion, but he's having a tough year right now, just trying to get his own shot, which is a problem with this team. Uh, my my quick tangent on NC State and Kevin Keats. Uh, such a well-coached game by Keats. He does a great job. And Alaric Freeman, uh, now Al Freeman, I think this was the greatest you know, personal change for Q-score purposes of all time. He was Alaric Freeman. He was struggling. He had transferred back from Baylor. Uh, you know, he, he, he had gotten got suspended for a couple games or something uh, with off-the-court issues, and then he comes back. He changes his name to Al. Al Freeman sounds, you know, much less assuming, much more like a hard worker, almost like an Al Harrington type. And uh, and now he's just dropping 29 points and shooting 7-7 seven to seven from three and just completely terrorizing North Carolina in the Dean Dome. So uh, good job by Kevin Keats. Great packaging. Uh, NC State, Torin Dorn, very underrated player for State. State's a really good team. That's I feel like they, they have a chance to like make a tournament run. And it's just embarrassing if you're a North Carolina fan to be in the building and have that happen to you. But, you know, mm-hmm. I told you Kevin Keats was a problem, Mark Titus. I told you that. We love Kevin Keats. Torn, Torn Dorn's a great name, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Great name. Uh, you said Carolina is not who you thought they were. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna be honest, Tate. Kind of who I thought they were. <laughs> this, is, this is the team. This is the team I was expecting all along. They, they uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I have nothing really else to add. You kind of hit everything for me. I mean, I've been saying it for... I, I kind of got carried away a little bit where I was I was kind of trying to troll you a little throughout the season, but in all honesty, like they just I, I, don't, I don't this isn't really that surprising to me that they're losing games like this. Um, I mean, I, w- I will say in your defense that NC State was raining threes, and I mean Al Freeman seven for seven from threes, incredible. I, I watched his interview with Andy Katz after the game, 
And he goes, he said, I saw the first couple go down, and from there it was a wrap. That was how he explained it. <laughs> yeah, they had so much confidence <laughs> Which walking is awesome. into that building because, yeah. I mean, the, the problem is, and this is what I, I had a couple of my buddies that went to state, they were texting me. They, they were like, when you look at your team, you just got to think about it. Like Theo Pinson and Luke May are the ones that are trying to carry you to a win. You know, right. that, that makes that's, us that's feel a, a lot better about our chances. And I was like, yeah, Here, I mean, that, I'm gonna, that makes sense. So here's a little here's a little optimistic look for you. Um, if Duke goes zone against Carolina and they leave that high post open, Luke May might score 60 <laughs> points. So be excited about that. Maybe maybe Luke May will, you know, the, maybe this will actually The problem with that is that favorite. the way that Roy Williams is coaching right now, Garrison Brooks will be the one catching the ball at the high That's post. True. And he'll have 13 Which, turnovers by half. By the way, this, the, speaking of the way Roy Williams is coaching, um, I'm I'm ignorant on this, so I might be I I might be missing something. I might not know all the details. But did did Jaleek Felton did he pass away? Is he dead? Oh, is uh it, I have not seen Jaleek Felton in a. Uh, I don't. I I remember you talking about him. I watched him against Ohio State. Check in. He was not terrible. Um, what what happened to this man, Tate? Jaleek Felton, nephew of Raymond Felton, uh, a guy that the big story was against Virginia Tech, he came to the sideline and Joel Berry had his hand out and Jaleek Felton just kind of wiped it, you know, didn't didn't acknowledge that Joel Berry had his hand out, didn't slap his hand. And everyone in North Carolina country, you know, is freaking out about that because you do not dismiss the team captain's handshake when you're coming to the bench. He's had a bad attitude uh, at the end of the Virginia Tech game. But then before the state game, all five starters were out on the floor and Roy Williams made Jaleek Felton get up from the bench and go out and shake each starter's hand and then run back to the bench. So my parents were at the game. They were telling me this. So everyone Wait, was, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is just like <laughs> something in North Carolina, you know, to show respect. So Jaleek had to like pay penance for, for you know, dismissing Joel's handshake. Oh so he goodness. goes and shakes hands of all the starters, comes back to the bench, and then North Carolina proceeds to lose that game. Jaleek had a couple of moments in that game. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, the Jaleek Felton thing is going to get figured out. No big deal. I wake up this morning. I, I get a text saying that Jaleek Felton has been suspended that is right, suspended from the university. Uh, he is out. Not just suspended from the basketball team, suspended from the university. Wait, which, what? Yes. Wait, what? He's not on the team anymore. He's not in, enrolled in the university, which makes me think that it has something to do with honor court or something like that, academic, rela- academic related, which is ironic because I'm sure they're going to be like, wait, they care? And well, uh, and now and now Jaleek Felton is no, no longer a part of the program and a part of the university, well, so it, it's sad uh, times. He's he's really off the team. He's off the team. You're not kidding. No, I'm not kidding. You're not bullshit. No, he's off the team. <laughs> so he's not dead, but he's off the team. So uh, what? What? I'm, I'm so stunned right now. I was bringing it up because I don't think you expected it up because that, I was just, that news peg to drop. But yes, right on cue. I looked at the. He is not on. The, I looked at the box the score. Anymore. Yeah, I was looking up the box score just to refresh my memory about what happened in Carolina against State, and I saw Jaleek Felton play. Like he almost basically, he basically got like almost a four trillion. So I was like, I thought that like this guy, he had like twelve points against Ohio State. What happened? I, he, Tate, Tate loves this guy. What happened? So I was just gonna bring up like, why is he not playing? Why is he not doing anything? And then he's off the team. <laughs> Although if it's, you said he's suspended by the university, and that's what sparked this, right? Like, yes. So this isn't necessarily this religious isn't a team. He's not kicked oh, off the team. Fine, he's suspended from the university. Listen, if if Richard Pitino is coaching the team, he's going to be back on the team immediately. Like this, the, the this is the Minnesota that Minnesota tried to expel a kid, and Richard Pitino's like, nah, you can still play. Yeah, he's come, still on the team. He's just not part of the school. Come the team. So this yeah. is actually perfect. Right. Now we can divvy his time up properly. Uh, right. That's enough on North Carolina and North Carolina State. But congratulations to Kevin Keats. Can we talk about um, Trey Young and Colin Sexton? Yeah, let's please do. I I, I I'm going to have a very lukewarm opinion on this and just say that. 
both guys played pretty well to me, and <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't surprised by the outcome. Um, I don't like this world that we live in where every Trey Young game has to be like he's he's the greatest or ah shit that was, he sucks now and uh yeah it's 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 too much like he it was he was okay he had 17 points eight assists he didn't really try I mean he had five turnovers but that's par for the course for him I mean it was just like it was just an okay game sometimes you can be like yeah okay game Colin Sexton you played well Trey Young you played well Alabama won cool that's it. That's my that's my opinion, Tate. <laughs> my opinion is Colin Sexton is a guy that if you are in the top ten of the NBA draft, you have to draft this kid. And it's and it's not it's not just yeah. because of the scoring and all that sort of stuff and the athleticism. He plays defense. And the biggest thing that Colin Sexton does to me, which is crazy, and I pulled this up because I just wanted to see if I was crazy. He draws an average of seven point five fouls per forty minutes. I was thinking, mm-hmm. I was like, this guy goes to the free throw line all the time, and I'm a big proponent of guys that can just go to the line and get easy buckets. Trey Young has been doing that all year. Uh, you know, If you can just get to the line, draw fouls, get uh, uh, officials to curry favor for you in any sort of situation, that's a big plus to me. And Colin Sexton does that. He scores a bunch of points for this Alabama team. He plays like an NBA player. I know we all want to talk about Trey Young, and that's what everyone wants to talk about is Trey Young losing a game, but Colin Sexton to me was the big story in that game. He looked like an NBA player, mm-hmm. which... You know, it felt he's a young bull, so I get it. I got vibes, not not quite as strong. I don't want to go that far, but just we're we're kind of in the neighborhood with the vibes of uh, De'Aaron Fox, Lonzo Ball, mm-hmm. with with Colin Sexton, where he like saw the matchup. That dude, that dude is a warrior. Um, I don't know how else to explain him. If you've never seen Colin Sexton play, like he he goes at he you. He's very much yes. yeah. He goes at you. He takes that shit personally. He, he plays he's like awesome. a New York like, guard. I, he kind of just like points you out and is like, all right, yeah. I'm going at this dude all night. Uh, yeah, he's not he's not as skilled like as as some of the other top guys, but yeah, he's he's awesome. He, I I don't know if we're, if we're gonna do the the coach speak the whatever. I want that guy in my bunker. I'm, I'm gonna say that Tate. That's that would that's that seems like an applicable phrase for Colin Sexton. Uh, let's wrap this up. You got any shout outs you want to give? Uh, shout outs that I want to give. I just want to give a shout out to Bruce Weber and uh, Kansas State. They have lost 195 mm-hmm. times to Kansas during this rivalry. I don't think we can call it a rivalry at this point if it's been 195 times. That's insane to me. But also, last night when they were losing to Kansas, they were down 11-2. to two. They cut to Bruce Weber, and he's giving a speech, and he says, we're just people, guys. We're all just people. They're people. You're people. I'm a person. We're all just people. Don't <laughs> don't put on airs. Just go out there and play basketball, which I thought was a great speech and something that people just need to hear in life all the time. We're just people, folks. So congratulations Have to you Bruce ever Weber. shot that shot? <laughs> Have you ever shot that shot? Um, Bruce Weber also I saw post game they asked him how much he prepped for Kansas' zone and he said none which I guess is <laughs> he's like listen, I had no idea they were playing zone this year can someone yeah, tell me something yeah, yeah it was pretty funny um, I want I got a couple shout outs I want to give one to Arizona uh, the Cardiac Cats they're back uh, I don't mean like Arizona's team is back I don't mean this is like a is Duke back situation uh, I mean the Cardiac Cats are very firmly back. Arizona has won, and in their last, they've won nine of ten games. Their one loss was at Colorado. Um, but in those ten games, this, this, the last ten game stretch, nine of those ten games have also been one possession games, Tate, with like six six and a half minutes to play or less. Yeah, every single nine of the ten games, and they've they've played like they played terrible teams, they played decent teams, they played everything in between. Every single game, every Arizona game with like six, six, seven minutes left, you know is going to be a, a tight game. And I just wanted to shout out Arizona and Arizona fans because uh, this happens every year to them, and they, they deserve better than to 
I mean, like when you're playing Oregon State, you shouldn't have to be sweating out the game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're an Arizona fan. Every now and then, can we please blow somebody out, Sean Miller? That's all I'm asking. Um, also want to give a shout out to Duquesne. Uh, yeah, uh, tough uh, loss. Melancholy, sh- mm. melancholy shout out. Uh, for two reasons. One, tough loss. They they lose a Rhode Island at Rhode Island on a buzzer beater from Stanford Robinson, an <laughs> IU transfer. Um, but two, I'm I'm. I got to swallow my pride and say they made the right decision hiring Keith Dambrot. Tate Duquesne is is in a good spot. They're fourteen and eight now. Duquesne has the last time that Duquesne I looked this up has won twenty two games or more was nineteen sixty two, and this team right now is fourteen and eight with like at least ten games to play if you count the conference tournament. So if they win one there, you know they'll get an extra one. Uh, all they might go to the postseason CIT or whatever. So Duquesne um, might be back. We have a chance. Duquesne. Keep they have a chance if they win if they win 22 games there'll be something that hasn't been done since 1962. So Duquesne, shout out to you. You hired the right guy. It's, it pains me to say it, but I'm I don't know. I'll say it. And then lastly, I don't know if you saw this Tate. Uh yeah. did you see two guys that you and I both love to talk about on this podcast? Mm. Because and and they both love that we talk about them because they love they both love to be talked about. Uh Jeff Goodman and Dan Dockich. Did you see Goodman roast Dockich on Twitter? I love when Jeff Goodman's only, being a good man, and this is a chance in a, in a time when he was 100% being a good man. So c- congrats to you, only, the, the only reason I saw this is because friend of the program, Sam Vicini, texted me, and he's like, you have to see this shit. This is wild. And so for those of you that are not in the know, Dan Dockich has been saying that Miles Bridges doesn't have game. I think that's the way he's phrasing it. Is he, he, Miles Bridges has no, no game, game, which like, yeah. Which, by the way, let's just, I mean, just ignore that part. I mean, like we could we could spend ten minutes talking about the part where he says Miles Bridges has no game, but uh, so Goodman Goodman obviously disagrees, and he he tweets to got to Dockett. He says, "If eighteen points per game and seven point two rebounds per game are no game, what does that make one point six points per game and one point one rebounds per game?" And Dockett replies, "Who's that?" And Goodman says, "Your sophomore year stats," and then drop the mic Boom, and roasted. everyone. Yeah, and then everyone replied with gifts, like the the guy falling back into yeah, his friends, the and, classic ones, yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So shout out to those guys. We we love talking about them, and they uh they got into it a little bit. That's always fun. So anything else, Tate? No, you've been served by Jeff Goodman. That's, That's always tough to take. Um, send us your dirty laundry. We're doing more manager stories on Friday. We're gonna uh tr- we're, we we may or may not have a sponsor. Uh, Tate, exciting news. Everybody loves the manager segment, and people want in on it. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna. Tell more manager dirty laundry stories. So please keep sending those. If you're a former manager, if you're a current manager, if you know a manager, if you like just f- making up fake stories that you think would be funny and you could trick us into thinking they're real, <laughs> all of the above is fine. Uh, send us to at, at one shining pod, the Twitter account, just our direct messages are open. Send us your stories. We'll have fun reading those on Friday. Um, otherwise save the crew. Thanks again to Hotel Tonight. Again, I can't tell you how much I have been loving Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight helps you book amazing deals at great hotels. And even though the name's Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. 
They work with cool top-rated hotels and don't feature those long, endless lists of options you have to scroll through. Instead, they show you a... I hate that. God, I hate that. Instead, they show you a select list of the best deals at the best hotels at any given time. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Download the Hotel Tonight app now and get going. America. (laughs) America.